Would you like to accelerate your career and reach your full potential in just minutes a day? Welcome to the LeadX Show with New York Times bestselling author and Inc. 500 entrepreneur, Kevin Cruz. What happens when you actually try out some of this LeadX advice? Hello, everyone. Kevin Cruz here. And in just a minute, we're going to talk about do-it-yourself personal branding and employee engagement. But first, congratulations on being the boss of your career. Content people seek entertainment. Ambitious people seek education. You are here. And do your friends and family members a favor. Let them know about the LeadX show. Tell them it's the smartest way to start your day. And don't forget free for you. You can download our ebook, Richard Branson's Seven Secrets to Leadership at leadx.org forward slash Branson. And today's quick career tip is celebrate work anniversaries. Now, this continues to be one of my failings, one of my personal failings. You know how everybody celebrates birthdays in the office. You know, the card gets passed around, usually gets lost, and then someone finds it the last minute. There's a cake in the afternoon with that awkward, do we sing the song or not, happy birthday. Well, it turns out most people value their work anniversary more than their own birthday. Now, for me, I have no idea when any of my work anniversaries, you know, have been when when I've started my companies. I can't even remember the year sometimes of when I've done a, a startup. But I'm a little weird like that. For most people, they can tell you the exact day they started in their job. So celebrate that work anniversary. It is a big milestone. That is the career tip of the day. Now, Today, we've got a very special guest on the show, not to the normal program, and I am excited for it. He's a business leader who lives and breathes so many of the topics we address on the LeadX show. He's been a leader in the technology space his entire career, starting as a quality assurance team leader at WordPerfect. Now, this is going way back because that was my first word processor and on through to his current role as vice president of digital media at Hughes, an Echo Star company. Our guest is none other than Mike Tippett. Welcome, Mike. Thanks, Kevin. It's great to be here. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun uh, talking about some of the, the unique things you've done. I know you're going to inspire other listeners to actually take action. But as a listener, you know, I always hit you with the first question, which is share a time when you failed in your career, because we want to know the lesson you learned so we can learn the same lesson. Fantastic. And you're right. I knew this was coming. And if you'll <laughs> indulge me, I actually have two examples. Great. Um, and I'll go quick. The first one I was newly married, and as you say frequently, you know, we were young and dumb. And I was, in, I was approached by a friend who was going to invest in a company, and that company was going to make shipping pallets out of plastic. Oh, they were going to make it out of plastic. It was going to be better than wood. It was going to be all these things. And I couldn't stand the thought of this friend making money and they, me not making money with him. So, you know, I went out and I did the worst thing you can do when you invest. I borrowed money on my Visa card. And I put $5,000 into the company. Literally, 30 days after I handed them my money, I got a bankruptcy notice from the company. You know, we're over, we're done, we're out. So, you know, they took my money knowing right. that they were in trouble. And, you know, <laughs> it took me four years to pay off that $5,000. But, you know, every week I was reminding myself two things. There is no such thing as get rich quick. And secondly, never invest blindly. I didn't know anything about shipping, trucking, pallets, injection molding, nothing. 
but yet I was willing to invest a significant amount of money. And I think this, the, the lesson that I learned there beyond just investing blindly is any kind of investment choices. Today, if I'm going to assign precious resource, which is people's time, to a project, have I thoroughly been briefed, understood, and know what I'm doing? So that, that was lesson number one, failure number one. And the other big one will be very obvious to a lot of people, but uh, in 2008, we won a huge contract with a retail company. And in 2012, it came up for renewal. And I made assumptions. I just assumed things were going fine, customers going to renew, you know, there was really nothing to worry about. And they didn't. They went with a competitor. And, uh, you know, that was a, we not only lost a, you know, a, a big customer, but we lost a big opportunity and it was very painful. Um, and 2016, we were able to win them back. And what I've taken from that is obviously never take a customer for granted. But in that process of not taking them for granted, talk to them and routinely, you know, not just that quarterly check-in, but, you know, get out there and listen. You can never listen to a customer too much. And, it, you know, the, uh, and the other thing that uh, I think has been said on several of the episodes, when you're listening, listen with the intent to understand. Don't just listen with the intent to respond. So those are those are two, you know, two career trips and falls. Well, Mike, OK, so first of all, there is gold in these tales. And I, first, I want to thank you because these are real stories of failure and lessons learned. You you're, you're being vulnerable. You're being authentic. Uh, and as you know, we we get a lot of good failure stories. And some some of our guests will say, ah, you know, stub my toe on the way to work and it hurt. You know, we don't always get such real stories. You're sharing real stuff. And on the first one about that investment, I mean, I just want to to underscore for our listeners, too often, you know, it seems like most people will, uh, they'll, they'll spend hours and hours and days and days to investigate what new car to buy, but then they'll put an equal amount of money in an investment on a stock tip or because their buddy at work told them it was a good idea. How are we spending more time buying a car than investing our money? So I, I think that was a great, a great lesson there, Mike. And you're right. I mean, I have to remind myself in business over and over again, like we're always so quick to try to sign up the new customer, make the next sale. Salespeople are notorious for this. It's like, boy, just go and chase and, and do that hunt. And we've got to spend time sort of on customer, re, re, you know, retaining, retention, I guess I should say. How often are we checking in? Let's not take them for granted and realize that if we're not talking to them, we know someone else is. Our competitors are talking to them and getting in there. And I'm thrilled, Mike, you're able to recover that deal because that was an old mentor said, hey, every time you lose a deal, you got to start making the plan for how you're going to win them back. Oh, absolutely. Now there's, you know, you have all the adages and everything about it's cheaper to win, you know, win an existing customer than it is to get a new one and on and on and on. But yeah, this was, this was a great, great lesson. So, um, you know, I'm making every attempt I can now to, to live that learning and, and learn about the customer's business. You know, don't go in there listening for things that I can sell them. Oh, you need my product X, you need my product Y, but listen to the problems they're dealing with and then collaborate with them on how to solve them. And obviously you hope your products, your services will, will fit in there. That's great. Now, Mike, we actually first met after you read uh, my book, Employee Engagement 2.0. And other, unlike other engagement books, in fact, unlike my first engagement book, which is kind of big and sort of interesting, but not really applicable, my book, Employee Engagement 2.0, it literally is like a manager leader's guide 
to driving engagement, like step-by-step. Step. And it even included questions that you could use, uh, like survey questions to kind of, you know, uh, put your finger on the pulse of your team or your company. And you know, again, you you took action. You actually sort of modified the questions and have been working with it to to improve the engagement of your team, right? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, I literally, I remember the day I was, I was sitting on an airplane, I was reading the book and, uh, you know, here it comes and you had written it so that the individual reading could, you know, measure their own personal engagement in their, their current job. And I did that. I went down through and was marking in the book and everything. And then this light bulb went off and I said, you know what, I'm going to ask these seven questions of the 40 so people that work for me and measure it. You know, I just took the seven questions and basically added in our group as, you know, okay, I'm extremely satisfied working in our group. I rarely think about finding a new job in a different company. You know, th these were the questions. And then I gave the, the team strongly disagree, disagree, neutral, agree, and strongly dis or, um, agree on the five. Yeah. You know, so you got the five, right? And you want, you know, Strongly agree is five points and the others count on down from there. And it was it was very, very interesting. So, I, you know, I put it out there. I said, I said, we're doing this anonymously, OK, because I want as honest an answer as you can honestly give me. And I also told them, go home and go over this with your significant other, because as you've you know, you've talked about we've it's in books and everything. Work bleeds into home. Right. And what I don't want is, you know, give me your work answer. But then when you go home and your, you know, your wife, your wife, girlfriend, uh, you know, whoever says, well, you're not that happy or you like that. Remember, we talked about it. So I usually give them a week to 10 days to turn it in. And then we and then we just, you know, we do what a, a business person does. We we take it. We numeric it. We line it up and we, we evaluate it. Let me interrupt your story here. So when, when you first told your team, you said it, it was about 40 people that were invited to take the survey. Yep. And do all of those 40 report to you or do you have a layer of management in between? There's actually for part of them, there'd be two layers, two layers. Okay. So what, you know, this, <laughs> what was the reaction? Is it like, cool, we get to give feedback or, oh my gosh, what crazy idea does Mike have now? Where did this come from? Like the first time it came out of the blue. So what was the reaction? Generally, it was the, the former. OK, let's give some feedback. I, you know, listen, I've given out books and I've talked to these guys. The one good thing I'll say, um, not to brag, but I do regularly talk to these guys, all, all of them, down through both layers. You know, so it's not like, oh, you know, we never hear from Mike unless he wants something from us kind of a thing. Um, but if I remember correctly, I think I had nearly 100 percent response. Yeah. And that's whenever I work with uh, with companies and teams on engagement, they're always you know wondering, geez, how engaged are we and all the rest? I can tell a lot just by the survey response rate, because uh, if the survey response rate is high, that means in general people are engaged and there's a high level of trust. Uh, if there's low trust, if they think. Mike's not going to do anything with the data or Mike says it's uh, anonymous, but then he's going to find out that I dinged the company and he's <laughs> going to fire me, you know, all of those things Then they don't then they don't take the survey at all. And so, right. um, I mean, the fact, in fact, if I see an organization that has 50%, half of the people finish, I'm happy. I think that's pretty good in a large organization. And so, you know, the fact that you had almost everybody 
already says a lot about the the culture, the the trust climate, the amount of communication you're doing. Uh, so that's great. And so what were the what were the results? Were you surprised by what came back? No. Uh, well, I, 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 don't, I don't think I'd say I was surprised. I mean, I was curious because not having ever done this before, we, we have been um, very lucky. We have very low turnover in my team and in the technology space. That's pretty unheard of. But I was excited to get the results back. And when we got the results back, a perfect score, quote unquote, would be 35, right? Somebody was completely happy with all seven questions. We scored at about 26. And I put these numbers together. I made a couple of charts and I went and gathered the group together. And I said, OK, I want to show you what you said to me. And then I told them things that I was going to do with the other managers on the team, the leadership group that we had, and uh, and we started doing some of that. And a lot of it was just around communication, talking to them, listening to them, and then talking to them. It's to make sure that they're aware of things that maybe I know and I just assume people know down the chain and they don't. Um, you know, good news, bad news, direction, these kind of things, but keeping them informed. And so we did that for six months. We had some regular meetings. We talked to people. We kept them informed. We did the survey again and we bumped up about a point and a half almost two points we did it a total of five times over two and a half almost three years and my goal was to get us as close to 28 as i could right my interpretation of the data and a little bit of what i've read is if you're if you're above 28 you're probably you know running a little bit of a never never land there it's a little unrealistic and if you're below um if you're below 21 you got problems, you got people leaving, or they're about to. And so, uh, you know, again, the last the last one we did uh, was about a year or so ago, uh, because I was doing it every six, and I got to thinking that was now being a little too too frequent. We're gonna we're gonna do it more annually now, but we were just under twenty eight. We were in the mid twenty seven and change. So I was pleased with that. I was very pleased with what it taught me. Um, the biggest thing I came away from that with was ongoing communication. And then I think I built some trust by reporting back. I showed them the real numbers, right? What I saw and what I heard, I let them tell me if I was misinterpreting in their opinion and, you know, engineers and numbers, that's always fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so Mike, let me, let me unpack some of this and elaborate for the, some of the people who either are not as familiar with employee engagement or certainly, you know, haven't read the book. And it, this is so much good stuff in here. So, Back when I started writing, researching, writing about employee engagement, leadership and engagement, uh, my old business partner and I, you know, we looked at survey research on 10 million workers in 150 countries. You know, I believe it's the largest employee engagement pool there is. It's now owned and continues to grow uh, as part of IBM's workforce uh, solutions. And, you know, that research showed there's about a dozen drivers of employee engagement, but most of it comes from growth, recognition, trust, and communication. You know, we all want to grow and learn and be challenged. We want to uh, be recognized for doing a good job. Trust isn't about ethics. It's more like, I trust that the leadership has a good plan. I trust that the future is bright for the company and therefore for me. And then communication comes in number fourth. And communication, again, back when I was young and dumb, it'd be like, I'll send out more emails to everybody if they want more communication. Well, that's called information. <laughs> what people want is two-way communication. They want their ideas to count. They want to be able you know, to, to uh, speak their mind without repercussions. And so 
Mike, as you described, you know, what you, uh, the, the great way that these surveys, you get that overall number. So you can kind of say, all right, on, on this five point scale, seven questions, how high are we to perfect scores? How much agreement do people have? Um, and that's useful for, for tracking progress. But then the real power is to look at those scores and say scores and or comments. If you ask for comments and say, okay, out of growth, recognition, trust and communication, like what's the lowest score? We can always get better. So let's look at one of those. And you mentioned, you know, communication came up uh, a lot. And that was always the one for me as well. And so much so, Mike, I don't know if you would agree as a uh, you know, uh, we're both, we've got, we've got a few uh, miles uh, on our engines, you know, um, you need to strive to over communicate as a leader and know that it will still never be enough. Like people just crave more and more and more and, and more frequent communication and, and ideation that I found that even, I mean, to this day, when I think I'm over communicating, I'll still often get dinged like, well, I didn't know about that. Or how come we aren't doing this? Have you found that to be true, too? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and a couple of weeks ago, I was speaking and I and I said this, I, you know, people, human nature, for whatever reason, if we hear negative news, we're more likely to believe that than we are positive. And so that I'm sure there's a number out there. Somebody's research but you probably have to dump four to eight times the amount of positive communication out there just to keep negative at the door, just to keep it from crawling in and, you know, oh, you know, woe is us and all this and the other. You know, wait, guys, don't remember last Thursday, I, I told you we've got this great thing going on. Oh, but, you know, we had a bad day and the weather. And That's so right. I, I'm very much I'm very much with you that you can never. I don't think you can ever do too much. Right, right. Now, at the same time, make sure it's honest, right? Don't just communicate, oh, look, it's Thursday morning. I was supposed to communicate. Here's communication. No, no, no. It's got to be honest, which means that some sometimes it may be two sentences. Guys, this is going good, and I'll keep you posted. That's right. And, and the other thing, uh, Mike, that I wanted to, to highlight for our listeners again, the the genius of, of what you did, and this is the right way, this is the only way you're going to move the, the needle on engagement is to not make it a one and done event. So you said you were doing this every six months. Now you've lightened up a little bit to 12 months. So many people ask me, you know, why, if, if engagement is so powerful, why do so many companies stink at it, right? Because there's only about one third of the workforce in North America is actively engaged at work. Worldwide, it's less, it's about 10%. And so many companies will say, okay, it's, we're trying to save money. So every two years, we will do an employee engagement survey. Well, that's not frequently enough. And then they take the data and they keep it up in the C-suite. And it's the head of HR and the CEO. They all say, oh, communication is down. We will send out more emails from the CEO. And the reality is you've got to do, which is exactly what you've done, Mike, is you share the results back with the team. You make it a grassroots thing. So frontline managers can can say, okay, team, here's our employee engagement data. You know, the good, the bad, the ugly. Here's where we're doing better than average. Here's our areas for improvement. Now let's brainstorm. What, what does it mean? Uh, what would we have to do around here for you to score communication as a five? What would you have to do around here to answer these questions of five? And so I think Mike, you know, again, hat hats off, you know, that it, it doesn't, it, you didn't say, oh my gosh, you know, I, I don't have 
a million dollar budget for a, a global survey company. Oh my gosh, I'm so busy. You realize the value in this. Again, it's a seven question survey. You implemented it. You were doing it like five times so far. You're sticking with it. So, I mean, just this is the right way to do it. So great job. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's people, you know, you hear, you hear this in sales all the time. People buy from people. Well, the same thing's true at work. You work for people. And if you're in an organization large enough that, you know, you've got a C-suite and, and, you know, you've got frontline workers and you're distributed and so forth, those people need to know who's leading the company. They, they need to hear from um, regularly and regularly for some companies is quarterly, regularly for other companies is monthly and what have you. And, you know, different levels of management can take turns and, you know, so on and so forth. But I firmly believe that if the CEO uh, is not visible. If she's not out there in front of the troops on a routine basis so they can see and hear from her, uh, that, that's a huge mistake. Well, and what, what would you say to the CEOs if she says, ah, this is just about making people happy. There's no hard ROI on this engagement stuff. I mean, how would you answer that? With all due respect and politeness, <laughs> I would say that I can show her numerically that a frontline ten to fifteen dollar an hour associate costs her three thousand dollars every time one leaves. Mm. And in the customer service industry, so retail and hospitality and all these different ones, they're going forty to sixty percent turnover. So if you've got a hundred thousand employees, you got fifty percent turnover, and every time one of them walks out the door, it costs you three grand. Do the math. And if you disagree with me, we actually built a model and put a little website up where. Look, put in your numbers, you know, put in your average, you know, your hourly rates and your costs and things that, that we use in a model. And, and I promise you it's going to come out somewhere between $2,500 and $3,500, you know, if you're honest with yourself. Uh, and that's real money. Now, no, no program, no, no survey, no anything is going to suddenly take that to zero. But if, you, if you're a, you know, 40,000, 50,000 employee organization – and you move the needle one or two points, that pays for a lot of activities and a lot of things. And I, I say to the CEO, you know, hey, if you had an extra million dollars because we dropped at 3%, would that open a new store? Would that fund a new location? How much R&D would you do with that? Because it goes right to the bottom line. Now, that website, is that an internal website you created? No, it's, it's external. And obviously, we'll, we'll dump it in the show notes and everything, but it's valuemodel.hughsignage.com. Great. Okay. That's, yeah, we'll definitely put that in the show notes. That's a great gift to our listeners, Mike. I appreciate that. Yeah. Now, we, we originally built a model for our sales team and told them, go grab the, your, your prospective company's annual report and different things and plug some numbers in and you'll go in with some credibility. It won't be perfection, but it'll be some credibility. And then tell them, listen, if I've used wrong numbers, if I've misinterpreted your data, Let's sit down with the model and plug your, you know, your real numbers in. Um, we've, and we've done it enough now that I'm, I'm very confident in saying that your frontline employee is going to cost you three grand. And that goes up somewhat exponentially as you go up the organization chart. And not just because salaries are more expensive, but you start to see the, uh, the knowledge loss and things that go out the door when an employee turns over because they're disengaged. Well, it's it's the knowledge loss and, and the the onboarding time and all that. And if you're at a high enough level, the headhunter cost is <laughs> huge at these executive roles. That's very true. And again, 
you know, you said it and, you know, we repeat it a lot. People join companies, they quit bosses. Right, right. And so the value of LeadX, in, you know, one of the things that I'll, that I'll tell people I tell is if this helps you become a better leader, I hate the word manager, but leader manager, you reduce your own turnover, you increase your own engagement, you're doing things for your company that are just, you know, magical. Love it. So uh, with the, the little bit of time we have left, Mike, I, I also know that you took action after listening to, it turns out one of our more popular episodes was when I interviewed Dory Clark and she talked about, you know, personal branding and as uh, a, a real easy way to kind of get a jump start on how the world sees us, how others see us. She had this three word exercise where we ask people, hey, you know, what are the three words you would use to describe us? And then that gives us some clues about you know, our perceived strengths, you know, our, our brand position. So you, you went and did that and you did it, you scaled it up because you actually created a, a one question survey monkey form and you sent it out. Was it to 69 people? I did. I couldn't think of a 70th person. <laughs> hey, I don't remember getting that link. I probably did, but I don't know. Maybe I was 70. <laughs> there you go. I did. I did, Kevin. And I received 57 responses. So I got about 171 words. And there were obviously there were duplicates in there. And being the visual guy that I am, I thought the best way for me to look at this is to make word cloud. So I took the list and I dumped it into a little word cloud creator. And it's I keep it with me now. I keep that word cloud with me. The biggest thing, and again, to, to just to kind of go through this quickly, the biggest thing that I did with this or I do with this is there were out of the 171 words, probably two, three, four that kind of pinched a little. Mm -hmm. The rest, it was very, I was very, I was thrilled, right? I mean, I got positive, passionate, motivational, energetic, funny, focused, you know, things that I was very proud that people thought of me that way. Right. But there were a couple in there. One was cliquish hmm. and one was egotistical. <laughs> and and I and I, to be candid, you know, close the door, be honest with oneself. Yep. I am a little cliquish. I, you know, I'll, I'll work with the people I'm comfortable with. And so I'm going very going very hard this year to be more inclusive. Right. And then, you know, if you haven't, you know this, but I've got an ego approaching the size of Montana. <laughs> and I use that to, to drive our team into new and non-traditional directions. But I'm going to make careful, uh, sure this year that I don't let that become an offensive aspect of, of my brand or of my personality. But I read the list um, every Monday with the idea of, okay, make sure you don't do the things this week that you, you know, you've said you're going to watch. And then on Friday, I read it to see how I did just, you know, it take, it's, it's a five minute exercise. Incredible. And you know, it's interesting. I can remember, uh, back when I was part of larger organizations and like every year or two, they would do the, the 360 surveys where everybody, you know, all around you is, is giving you feedback on your performance. And it's true that, I mean, you know, if they're anonymous and you ask enough people, there's going to be some feelings herders in there and uh, we're all human. So, you know, we, we, it'd be nice to only read the awesome stuff that we're doing, but it, the, <laughs> the stuff that pinches, I mean, those really are the gifts. I mean, it, it, and often it's the same, it's the other side of the coin of the positives, right? So, you know, someone who might be motivational and hard charging and big idea could maybe be viewed as egotistical or when those things are, you know, amped up to 11 instead of 10, then it sways into to egotistical. But, you know, I would always focus 
on those, I like it, you know, the words, the feedback that pinched and the same thing, I would just kind of remind myself of them through the year to just kind of grind off my hard edges a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and by the way, I, it, you know, 360 is important in that exercise. I went above lateral and down, um, as I picked those people, because I, I really wanted a 360 view and I did, you know, I did have to be honest. I reached out to our HR department before I did that. I said, Hey, listen, this is what I want to do. And they were laughing. They're like, do it. We, we, we wish more people had the courage to do it. So it was awesome. That's great stuff. And I like it the way, again, it's not just a one and done. You're, you're, you printed out your word cloud and now you're going to work with it by reviewing it, you know, twice a week. I think that's a great practice. So, Mike, before we wrap up, as you know, our big, uh, one of our biggest listeners, I always ask our listeners to get a little bit better every day. And so now it's your turn to challenge us. What's one specific thing we can do today to help get closer to our full potential? Yes. And I think uh, what I would say is in order to get better, you have to know where you are right now. So create a baseline and measure your improvement against that baseline. And I would encourage users or listeners to use the survey or the, this, you know, this uh, adjective word cloud concept, either or both, to lay down a baseline of where you are today and use that to help you set some goals and then measure your, yourself as you go forward. Love it. Get your baseline. Well, Mike, I want to thank you for coming on the LeadX show and tell our listeners, how can they get in touch with you if they want to share their own, uh, their own three word challenge? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, the, the two, the two most mature ways to get after me are Twitter. Hughes media VP is my handle or LinkedIn. Obviously I'm there. Um, I do have tippets.com. It's a, it's a growing new and growing website. I'm trying to get my ideas and things just popped out there. And then I'm happy to get email at Mike at tippets.com. So happy to have conversations, you know, publicly on Twitter or LinkedIn or privately on email. Perfect. Friends, you've just been mentored by Hughes VP, Mike Tippetts. Don't forget, you can get all the links he just mentioned and, of course, the notes from this interview over at leadx.org. And that's it for today's episode of the LeadX Show. But please subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave a rating and review. It's only going to take you a minute. It's the single best way you can help to build the LeadX tribe. Until next time, remember, leadership is not a choice. You know this now because it's not about power or authority. It's all about influence. You influence those around you with your words, but also your silence. We are all leaders. Lead with intent. 